Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. You know, relationships shouldn't be so difficult. Find out why some are over at my other podcast, loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Paul Coliani and I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Wonderful to have you here. Thank you for showing up yourself to another episode. If this is your first time, welcome. I'm glad that you are here. And uh, I'm just going to get right into an email that I received because I have a feeling it's probably prevalent in a lot of people's lives, the subject of the email. And um, I think we should talk about it. This person wrote, I have been in a dark place for a while now and I can't seem to get myself out. I don't get happy or excited about anything anymore. And I see everyone else happy and somewhat enjoying life. And I just feel like I have gone backwards. I go from anxious to depressed sometimes, and the depression portion is so hard to get through at times. My mind races, and I have thoughts about what a failure I am. But I also know deep down I'm a good person, and I just can't bring myself to believe it. I just had a goal in my life to be happy and have certain things such as a house, marriage, kids, and I had two of those, but now I have none. Being in my 30s and having nothing to show for it makes me cry and feel bad and I just don't know which way to turn. Thank you. Can anyone relate to this? I think when I was in my 30s, I could relate to this. I don't relate to it today, but I can certainly empathize. I can certainly be in that space with you. Thank you so much for writing that and for sharing this. And there's a lot of ways to look at this, a lot of angles to it. And um, I like to find the quickest way to the answers to fix something like this. And I'm not saying it's fixable, because if I did, that would indicate that you were broken. And I don't like to indicate that anybody's broken. I think if you're listening to a show like this and looking for resources to help you, then you are more functional than most people that don't seek resources like this, if they need it. I mean, there are some people that are fine. They don't need it, they don't look for it, and they're getting along in life great, and I know there are people like that. And then there are people that do need it and don't look for it. 
So I want you to consider yourself, if you're listening to this, if you seek resources to help you, whether it's through self-help videos, books, podcasts, or through the therapeutic route, through the professional route, anything you do to improve your mental health is, in my book, completely functional and indicates that you are not broken. You may have challenges, you may have difficulties, but that's why you're here. That's why you do this kind of thing. That's why you look for these kind of resources to help you out. The person who has challenges and doesn't seek resources to help them out doesn't really improve anything unless they're good at dealing with their own challenges. But if you're good at dealing with your own challenges, you don't seek resources like this. Or if you do, it's just kind of an addendum to what you already do and what you already know. But my point is, this person who wrote and anyone that can resonate with him, I want you to know that in order to be cognizant and conscious enough to seek a resource like this for your own mental health and well-being shows that you, you're willing to do something to improve yourself. And of course, seek more comfort, seek more happiness, you know, whatever your goal is. In this person's case, they said, uh, I know deep down I'm a good person. I just can't bring myself to believe it. Let's tackle that. Let's talk about that. Let's just say that you know deep down you're a good person, or you know maybe some people listening don't believe that, but let's just talk about this guy. He says, uh, I know I'm a good person deep down, but I can't bring myself to believe it, which you know, right off the bat is a contradiction. Because <laughs> if you say, I know I'm a good person, I just can't believe it, that is definitely polar opposites. I can't believe I'm a good person. That's like saying, I can't believe something I know to be true. I can't believe my car is black, even though I know it's true, but I can't believe it. So that contradiction brings up a dilemma inside of you. There's some sort of struggle or inner conflict that's going on that probably needs to be addressed inside of you first and foremost. And I think the question that might help you resolve this conflict or this contradiction is what would need to happen in order for me to believe it? What would need to happen in order for you to believe that? Let's just say that uh, deep down you know you're a good person, but I just can't bring myself to believe it. Just like this guy said, I know I'm a good person, I just can't bring myself to believe it. Okay, what would need to happen to believe that you are a good person? Let's just say that he said, I don't know, well, maybe if somebody told me I was a good person, and then I would challenge that. Okay, so if somebody came along and said, hey, you're a really good person, now would you have a solid belief that you are a good person? I'm going to guess no, actually. I think when somebody comes along and says that to this guy, he's going to be like, well, yeah, but they don't really know me. They don't, they don't see everything that I do. They don't watch me all the time. They only saw that one moment, so they believe I'm good in that moment. Okay, so back to the question. What needs to happen for you to believe that you're a good person? You have to answer that question, because if you don't have the answer to that question, you'll never believe you're a good person. 
So you have to know the criteria. You have to know what makes up your belief of knowing you're a good person, if that's even the way to say it. You know, what are the components that make up your belief? I'm not saying you have to answer that question. You just have to answer the question, what needs to happen for you to believe that you're a good person? So this is going to help him and maybe you, if you're listening and you resonate with this, understand what might be at the crux of what's causing this contradiction. Because if you say something like, I know this is true, but I can't believe it, then there's something holding you back from that belief. Now, we could ask another question, which brings us in a different direction. That question is, what would it mean if I believed I was a good person? What would that mean? If I believed that I was a good person, what would that mean or what does that mean? And you might find some deeper concerns or fears in there or maybe more beliefs or disbelief of some sort. A lot of what's going to come up for you is probably in your upbringing. We know that um, a lot of what happens in our upbringing comes out when we're adults, when we're trying to figure stuff out and we're trying to deal with our challenges, trying to deal with anxiety and depression and all of that starts when we're children and during our upbringing unless we had trauma later on in life it can happen that that way too but this is why I'm giving you these questions because it's important to help you pinpoint where the problem areas lie and problem areas in the sense of what is holding you back from believing more about yourself or believing good about yourself, believing that you are good instead of just knowing it, which again is a contradiction. Now this person mentioned that he had a goal in life to be happy and have certain things such as a house, marriage, kids, and he said he had two of those and now he has none. Now this is where we have to define what makes us happy. What are the components of happiness for you? That's an even bigger one, I'm sure. That's probably something that we think we know, but maybe we don't. So maybe his definition of happiness comes uh, with having the house and the marriage and the kids. Uh, But now that they're gone, because he made those the source of his happiness, when they're taken away, what does he have left? This is another thing I've talked about in previous episodes. When we make a person or something outside of us, the source of our happiness, then when that's gone, we're not happy. We might become depressed or anxious. We might have these negative effects from something that we set ourselves up to fail. Because when we place the source of our happiness outside of ourselves, it's a setup for failure. And I know people are already screaming at me through their podcast players Well, how am I supposed to be happy otherwise? You know, relationships make me happy. Puppies make me happy. Money makes me happy. All this stuff outside of me is what makes me happy. And I would say, yeah, you know, makes me happy too. All that stuff makes me happy as well. Is it the only sources of your happiness? Because here's the thing is that we go through life seeking so many external things to make us happy. And the acquisition of more external things and people and experiences are what 
continue to accumulate to give us what I would consider temporary highs. Because once we get that thing and we're happy we got that thing, eventually that thing is going to change. Once you get a new car or a newish car and you're happy you got that car, uh, five years down the road, it's not the same car typically. Depends on the make. <laughs> but a few years later, it's not the same car. The seat starts to wear, the, the transmission starts to feel differently, or maybe 10 or 15 years later, depending on how long you drive a car. I'm a long-termer myself. I like to drive them until the wheels fall off. <laughs> but what ends up happening is that the car gets older and things start to change on it. And it can change how happy you feel every time you sit in it. You may not feel as happy as day one. Maybe on day 10,000, you sit in it again and you're like, uh, this doesn't make me as happy as it used to. It's because we have our source of happiness in something external. And because of that, it changes how we feel when the external thing changes. And this is something we have to be careful about. And again, it's hard because external things do make us happy. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay that external things make us happy. I think it's okay that when you get a house, you become happier. When you get uh, a good relationship, you become happier. When you have kids, you become happier. I think it's all okay and all wonderful. But you have to have a happy foundation or at least some ingredients of happiness inside you in order to feel that happiness and connect with that happiness all the time. And that's impossible, honestly. You can't connect with and be happy all the time. I think we all know that. It's impossible. If you're doing it, uh, send me the recipe. <laughs> because I know even during a sad movie, yes, I'm happy to watch this movie, but during that time of sadness, I'm not happy. At the same time, when the sadness is over, the happiness can start to seep in again. And I think happiness is not really a good goal anyway. I don't really like to pursue happiness. Happiness should be a side effect of what you're doing in your life and who you hang out with in life and how you feel about yourself. I mean, there's a lot of variables, some external, some internal. But you have to connect with the internal ones and make sure you've got a lot of that covered. In my experience, what ends up happening is that when we don't deal with our emotional baggage from unhealed traumas, you know, old events of neglect and abuse and just people treating us badly or us having bad experiences, all of that could be lacking closure in our lives. And whatever lacks closure, we bring forward into the next day, into the next month, into the next year, into the next relationship, and on and on. And as long as we continue bringing this lack of closure from the events and the traumas and the abuse that has happened in our life, then we end up covering what's underneath, which is purely you. It's purely us. It's you at the deepest level. It's the capital Y-O-U that is the most important person in the world. And some people may disagree with that. I'm not the most important person in the world. My mom is, or my son is, or whoever it is. My husband, my wife, my kids. But once you accept that you are the most important person in the world, what ends up happening is you treat yourself like the person that you believed 
to be the most important person in the world. I hope that makes sense. But let's just say that you think your kid or your kids are the most important people in the world. They are the most important. So if you treated yourself like you treated your kids, how would that be different? Well, I would do anything for my kids. You know, I'm going to hear somebody say that. I would do anything for my kids. I would take a bullet for my kids. I would stand up to anyone that tried to hurt them. I would stand up to the bully. I would stand up to the bully's dad. (laughs) I would say, you need to back off because this is my kid and you have no right to talk to them like that. And I would say, bravo, that is amazing. And would you do that for yourself? Would you do that in a work situation where your boss came out and humiliated you in front of your coworkers? Would you do that for yourself? You know, one of the keys of happiness, at least in my life, I can't speak for everyone, but what I've discovered is that when I treat myself as the most important person in the world, I suddenly do things that I wouldn't normally do from a dysfunctional mindset, for lack of a better way to put it. Because I grew up with a dysfunctional mindset. I grew up thinking that it was better to people please or better to just roll over and let people walk all over me because I didn't want to make waves. I didn't want to create conflict. I thought that was the best way to get along with everyone. But if I start to treat myself as if I were the most important person in my life, I start treating myself differently. You want to know where happiness comes from? Boy, when somebody stands up for you, It feels pretty good. You feel worthy. You feel valuable. This is what you do for yourself. This is how I have learned to connect with a deeper part of me that really makes me feel good about me. I want you to feel good about you and treat yourself as the most important person in the world so that when somebody comes along and mistreats the most important person in your world, you won't stand for it because that's the most important person in the world. I believe this is a big part of where happiness comes from is when you stand up for yourselves when you probably wouldn't from a dysfunctional mindset. And I know you can't stand up to everyone and anyone. That's not what I'm saying. You don't stand up to the violent person. You don't stand up to somebody that has the ability to hurt you badly unless you're willing to take the risk and you're willing to face the consequences. That's another question that I believe it's important to ask yourself when you don't feel as happy as you want to be or you're feeling anxious or depressed or however you feel. The question that I like to ask is if you had absolutely no fear of the consequences, what would you do or say then? That is one of the most important questions because it always brings up your truth. It always causes your truth to rise up and reveal itself. Sometimes you didn't even know that truth was there. It also allows you to connect with that most important person because they have a voice now. That question gives the most important person in the world a voice. It gives your truth a voice. And when you hear that voice inside your head, you hear truth. You hear what you really think and feel. You hear what you really want to do or say. 
the next step is the hardest step doing or saying it <laughs> it is the truth that comes out of you instead of staying inside of you you've probably heard me talk about depression before but the way I've experienced depression and many others have is you first suppress something that you're thinking about and then you repress the emotion that comes with that thought and that leads to depression not just once I mean you continually suppress the thought repress the emotion it adds to depression the next one suppress the thought repress the emotion and now you have another building block of depression it's the continuous repetition of suppressing thoughts repressing emotions so that it lays the foundation for deeper stronger darker depression I learned this from a very young age from my mom I'm not blaming her at all this is how she learned as well but I learned that it was important that in order to not get hurt that you must suppress your thoughts and repress your emotions because if they come out there's a chance that you'll get hurt and growing up in an alcoholic home like I did uh, my stepfather could be at times a violent drunk and believe me the last thing you wanted to do was evoke that violence so what do you do you as a kid you hide it you stuff it down you swallow it you repress it and later on in life when you're away from that scenario if you still don't have closure from all that repressed negative energy that you've swallowed for many years you might have to find it and you know I've talked about it on the show before but connecting with how I really felt deep down inside about my stepfather was the very first baby step toward healing from my depression many moons ago it was the first time I admitted how much I hated him and how much he affected my life and I cried I was a mess and those tears represented many decades of repressed negative energy it was exactly what I needed to do it was the pressure relief valve that I needed to open in order to start the process of deconstructing and debuilding or unbuilding the depression that I had built up for so long so I'm not saying this is going to cure everyone's depression, but it sure was a good start for me. And in order to continue that journey of healing my depression step by step, I had to embrace that I was important. I was not only important, I was the most important person in my world. I was the most important person, and because I believed that, I started treating myself that way. Just like if someone came up to my mom and started yelling at her and pointing their finger in her face and my mom started crying guess who's damn well gonna stand in front of her and stop the nonsense I'm gonna stop that nonsense and say back off you son of a <laughs> you need to pick on someone your own size she does not deserve this treatment what's your problem or whatever I say it'll probably include some expletives <laughs> I'll try to be calm but this is my mom one of the most important people in my life and if I'll do that for my mom I'm gonna do it for me because in order for me to do that for my mom I need to know it's in me I need to know I'm capable of doing it and I need to feel good about myself I need to be happy about who I am even though I screwed up a lot even though I became dysfunctional and had all these toxic behaviors and 
I just had a lot to heal and find closure with in my life. Even though I had all these issues, I still had to treat myself as the most important person in the world and stand up for myself as if nobody else would. That doesn't mean nobody else would. It doesn't mean they would or wouldn't. It just means that if I can do that for myself, I can do that for anyone. And if I would do it for anyone, why wouldn't I do it for myself? This is where I go with happiness. And it's not even scratching the surface of what makes us happy. It's not about the pursuit of happiness for me. It's about treating myself as the most important person in the world and standing up for myself when I feel I'm being wronged, honoring my boundaries, telling people what's acceptable and what's not as far as how they treat me, staying in alignment with what I value most and giving high quality no's and O, telling people no when I mean no and listening to that inner voice that answers the question, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences and then following through taking the risk and facing the consequences because I am worth the truth and nothing but the truth. I am worth following through for me. I am worth standing up for me. I am worth making it known that I cannot be steamrolled and I am worthy. That's where it leads. It leads to I am worthy. And when you feel that in yourself, for yourself, I think you're another step closer to feeling happy. For me, that's what makes me happy. Because what ends up happening is you take out all the obstacles that prevent happiness from appearing in your life. I wrote an ebook a long time ago called Clear the Path to Happiness. Because I believe happiness is intrinsic. I believe it's inside of us. But in order to feel it, we have to clear the path. We have to remove the obstacles. And those obstacles are the old, unhealed, emotional stuff that we've gone through. That if we don't address them, if we don't talk about them, if we don't bring them up to be processed, they stay inside of us and block the path. And when the path isn't clear, the happiness doesn't show up. Even if you're not looking for happiness, you're just looking for peace or comfort or something that uh, makes you feel better inside, there are sometimes obstacles that block you from feeling that way. Which is why sometimes I'll ask the question, what's stopping you from feeling that way? And you can't say anxiety stops me or depression stops me because then I'm going to ask you, what's causing you to feel depressed? And you might say, well, I don't know. And then I might ask another question that I sometimes go back to, which is, If you could eliminate anything in your life that would help you feel either less depressed or even one step toward happiness, what would you eliminate? This is kind of the magic pill question. If you had a magic pill that could do anything for you, what would it do? Or something like that. I like to ask myself questions because we often ruminate on certain things and just tell ourselves, oh, I'm depressed, oh, I'm anxious, oh, I'm sad. And we don't ask the why questions or the what questions uh, often enough. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you're that type of person that asks questions like I am. Or maybe you need to hear this again and again so that you become that type of person to ask yourself questions, which is what I like to do. Why am I depressed? Why am I afraid? 
What is there to be afraid of? And sometimes the answers are obvious, but I don't like obvious answers. <laughs> if the answer is obvious, I don't like it. Why are you afraid of spiders? Well, because they're creepy. Yeah, but what's so bad about creepiness? That's another kind of question. What's so bad about, or how is that a problem? What's so bad about them being creepy? Well, I don't like that they're creepy. Yeah, but why? <laughs> and you drill into each and every issue in your life that's holding you back from moving forward. Not that spiders might do that, because that may not be a big deal. Unless you crawl under houses and you're afraid of spiders, and that's hindering you from doing your job. But for the most part, you think about what's stopping you. Why am I afraid of that? What is causing me to feel that way? And you drill into all of these obstacles in your life so that you can get deeper, break them apart, so that they don't have such a stronghold on you. we got more to talk about this. When I come back, I'm going to address another angle with this person's message, and uh, hopefully we can come through with a new perspective that gets you even further toward what you want to feel and how you want to feel in life. And um, we'll go over that when we come back. Be right back after this. goals with the overwhelmed brain is to provide you information that you can't get anywhere else. Sometimes I succeed. <laughs> Sometimes people are talking about what I'm talking about, but I like to think that it's pretty unique original content over here. And uh, I also like to share what I've found to be unique products and services that really stand out and really benefit you. I want you to feel the benefit and also taste the benefit, and I'm talking about uprising food. I am now a superfood fan, and this is what uprising food is all about. What they do is they create low-carb, high-protein, high-fiber foods that are healthy, taste good, and are fresh, and especially tackle the real devil of the snowball effect of silent inflammation from our typical diet. You know, there's a lot of things that create inflammation in our body and Uprising knows that our existing food system is broken. Sometimes I'm in the middle aisles of the grocery store and I'm pulling down those boxes and I am eating a lot of processed food. And because of that, I am also causing inflammation and eating not the best ingredients, not the healthiest ingredients, but Uprising makes it easier to eat healthy and still enjoy your food. And they say it all comes down to taste. They say the healthy foods that you often see are littered with broken promises. But Uprising has nailed the taste factor. And I'm here to say that their rye chips and their sea salt chips are amazing and healthy. And what a great way to reprogram your palate so that you start eating something not only healthy but tastes good and fresh. In fact, I looked at their ingredients on the little cube of bread that they give you in the starter kit, and I couldn't find sugar. They do their best to make sure that all of their ingredients do not cause inflammation in the body. I think when something comes along that brings far market quality to your doorstep rather than going to the grocery store, it's important to take a look at it because your health is important. 
So check out Uprising Food. They cover anything from paleo, clean keto, simple low-carb to high-fiber to dairy-free and a grain-free lifestyle, whatever you're practicing in your life. Go to uprisingfood.com forward slash brain. That's uprising, U-P-R-I-S-I-N-G, food.com forward slash brain. Get $10 off your starter kit today. You'll be hooked. And how about taking those amazing superfoods I just talked about on an exclusive vacation to Mexico or the Caribbean or some other amazing destination? I'm talking about Funjet. They have a pleasant and personal service that's a one-stop shop for all your vacation needs. My girlfriend and I just came back from a vacation a few weeks ago, and we were very fortunate to have everything work out where we actually got a place to stay, and um, it was just to visit our family, but it was a nice vacation. But now we're thinking, where can we go where we don't spend every single day visiting someone on our vacation? Because it can be a lot of work. I say this knowing that maybe somebody from my family is listening now. I loved seeing you. I was so glad to see you there. And I'm so glad that we're family. But, you know, it's a vacation. Sometimes you want a few days off to yourself. And that's what my girlfriend and I are talking about now. So we're looking at our next vacation and seeing Funjet offering us exclusive package deals to any Ryu hotel and resort. I mean, after the last vacation... We need a vacation from our vacation because the last one didn't give us the time off. We had time on all the time. Again, it was wonderful, but it was a lot of work. And I'm ready to have some much needed fun. Like I said, Funjet Vacations is a one-stop shop for all your vacation needs. And they are experts in the industry. They offer a fast and easy way to book your next vacation. And for a limited time, the listeners of this show can use the promo code FUNJET75. That's FUNJET and the number 75 for $75 off your next FUNJET vacation at Ryu Hotels and Resorts. Whether you're looking for family-friendly or adults-only getaway, there's a Ryu Hotel and Resort for you. Just go to FUNJET.com. That's two words, FUNJET. FUNJET.com. Use the promo code FUNJET75 and you'll get 75 bucks off. But you need to book by October 15th, 2021 to travel through December 2021. Restrictions apply. Check it out. FUNJET.com. Use the promo code FUNJET75 for $75 off today. Welcome back. I want to give you a couple more questions to ask yourself and look at this letter that I received from a slightly different angle or at least address it from a different perspective. Like one of the things that he said was, I have just been in a dark place for a while and I can't seem to get myself out. So I like to listen to the actual words that people use. One of the words in this sentence is, I have been in a dark place. And when I hear a word like that, that stands out, dark place definitely stands out, I think, what's the opposite of that? To me, the opposite of dark is light. So I will ask the question using the opposite word in the sentence. So if you said, I've been feeling really down, I might ask you, what would cause you to feel up? It's just a simple example, but what needs to happen to cause you to feel up? What does it look like if you were feeling up? And then you might say, well, up's the wrong word. (laughs) 
it's not up and down. It, I feel down meaning I'm, you know, whatever the word is for you, I'm sad. Then the question might be, okay, what needs to happen to make you happy? And again, this is one of those questions that might be too big. What needs to happen to make me happy? Well, uh, I need more money. My spouse needs to come back in my life. Uh, my kids need to talk to me again. There's all kinds of things that would make me happy. And that would be a question that would be too big. So we need to break it down a little bit and um, start asking questions that have smaller answers. So that's something like uh, what would make you happy might be uh, what is one thing that would make you happy? Or how about what is one small thing that would make you happy? Again, this is just using the opposite of the term. If it's sad, then the opposite's happy, but maybe not for everyone. Maybe the opposite of sad is just not feeling sad anymore for some people. Well, what would make you not feel sad anymore? I personally prefer that over what would make you happy. In fact, I prefer talking in negatives like this. What would cause you to not feel sad? I like that word too, not. What would cause you to not feel depressed? Because if we look at the opposite, it doesn't always apply. Like, it's not just that I want to be happy. I just want to stop feeling depressed. What would cause your depression to stop? So I kind of jump back and forth here, but I want to go back to this sentence. I've just been in a dark place for a while, and I can't seem to get myself out. So I'm looking at that word dark, and I'm thinking, okay, light. What would help you get to a light place? There's an opposite word for you. And to look at that and ask it in a different way, what would cause you to not be in a dark place? I think that's going to get you closer to a truth inside of you. In fact, I'm switching gears. <laughs> I was going for the opposite word, like dark and light, and it can be very helpful because when you use a very unique word, uh, the opposite might give you some insights. Like, I'm in a um, hard place. Well, what would help you get to an easier place? What would it look like to be in an easier place? What would make it easier for you? So look at those words that you say to yourself. But uh, I am flip-flopping now and saying it's probably better to ask what would help it not be so dark? What would get you to a place that's not dark? What needs to happen so that you're not in a dark place? So just add the word not. Like let's take another sentence of his. I don't get happy or excited about anything anymore and I see everyone else is happy and somewhat enjoying life and I feel like I've just gone backwards. There's a word, right? Backwards. There's a very unique way to say something. I've gone backwards. Let's look at that. Let's take the opposite first. What needs to happen so that you feel like you're going forward? There might be some sort of insight that pops up in there. And let's take the not example. What needs to happen so it feels like you're not going backward? And of course, there's a lot of information in this sentence. I don't get happy or excited about anything. You know, I point toward depression. That usually what happens when you're depressed or having symptoms of depression is that what used to make you happy doesn't make you happy anymore. What used to make you cry doesn't make you cry anymore. What used to give you passion doesn't give you passion anymore. It's all the used tos. It, this used to happen to me, but it doesn't anymore. 
And depression is usually when you feel depressed in all the feelings that you used to have, all the emotions that you used to have. They're depressed. They are simply not there or they're very little. I think about uh, this book I read by Richard Bandler. He's the co-founder of NLP. He's a really strange guy, but a very smart guy. And he said, you know, I met this catatonic guy in this um, psych ward or whatever he called it. And he said uh, all the doctors there couldn't get through to him. He was totally catatonic, which to me sounds like probably the deepest level of depression. Like you're so depressed that you are just shut off from the world and from your emotions and from anyone else. And nobody can get through to you. You just shut down. And he said, so I took a hammer and I smashed his foot. (laughs) Now, this guy speaks in a lot of metaphors. I'm sure that was a metaphor, but there's some validity to this. And I'm not saying it's good advice, but I am saying that when we get stuck in a pattern, that a physical interruption to that pattern can make a big difference. Being smashed in the toe, I'm probably guarantee it would take you out of catatonia because <laughs> you would have a reaction your nervous system would fire up you would your pain receptors would blast off and you would scream you'll feel an emotion something's going to happen from that physical interruption to your current state and so his point was there are ways to reach into yourself that may be unorthodox And I prefer unorthodox uh, next to almost anything because unorthodox is usually something that goes around our filters, goes around our critical thinking and gets right to the heart of something and disrupts it. I mean, not always. Sometimes unorthodox doesn't work at all, but I prefer unorthodox when it works. Uh, And what he was saying is that the physical interruption is going to create a pattern interruption a disruption to the current state and that disruption can have the ability to get you out of that state if not temporarily uh, maybe longer term but it at least gets you into a different pattern or at least a new way of thinking in that moment now I'm not saying that you should do this I'm not saying that you should cause yourself any physical pain that's not it at all what I am saying however comes back to another angle that I was thinking about with this person's message which is what you do in your life is a lot different and a lot more effective and defines who you are and how you feel about yourself more than what you think and more than how you currently feel. In other words, it's about your physical acts. It's your physical behavior. It's what you do. It's the um, cat stuck in a tree and you're walking by And you look up and you see the cat and let's just say that you have the ability to climb trees and get the cat down or at least retrieve a ladder and get the cat down. And there's a sweet older person looking up, seeing this cat, and you decide I'm going to rescue that cat. And you do it. You put the ladder up or you climb up and you take the cat and hopefully the cat doesn't scratch you and you bring it back down and you hand it to the person that lost their cat. And they're so grateful and they're so happy that you did that. And doing so made you feel good because you made someone else happy. Let's just say that happened. It's a scenario that we see in movies and it can make a lot of people feel good. The person who does it is going to think and feel something about themselves as opposed to the person who doesn't do it. 
and I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm just saying there's going to be a difference in how you feel about yourself. The person who doesn't do it because they choose not to, oh, there's a cat in the tree. They're cats. They'll climb back down. And that senior citizen that's waiting for their cat to come down would just have to wait a little longer. I don't really have time or I don't really want to deal with this. I'm going to move forward. There's going to be a different feeling in that person than there is from in the person that actually did something. And I'm not saying either are wrong. I'm just saying the physical act changes how you feel inside. doesn't cure depression, but it changes how you feel because you did something physical. Because what you do defines who you are, in my opinion. What you do defines who you are. Because you can have all the negative thoughts in the world, but how you show up, you know, what you do defines who you are. And that addresses your comment where you say, I know deep down I'm a good person, but I just can't bring myself to believe it. The more you do that's good, the more it makes you a good person. Again, this isn't a full solution. It's just a different way to look at things because what ends up happening a lot is that if we're sad or depressed or whatever we're feeling, we'll end up sitting on the couch and doing nothing. Or going to work and being a drone and then coming back and just being a drone and then going to sleep and waking up and being a drone. All of these things are routine. They're patterns. And we don't find things to break our patterns. I like to look at a physical break in the pattern. Like um, Richard Bandler said on smashing someone's foot with a hammer. Not my recommendation. Please don't do that. But walking five miles uphill if you're not used to A, walking, and B, walking uphill, and C, walking five miles, it may not be something that you want to do, but it will be a physical break in your pattern, which changes things. And when you do this, when you challenge yourself in a physical way, even if it's something simple like offering to pump someone's gas and even paying for it, it's not necessarily a huge physical thing. But what it does is it changes how you think. It changes how you perceive other people. You're connecting in a different way. And um, that's just a minor thing. But a major challenge might be to climb uphill for five miles to get to the point where you're so exhausted that you have no choice but to go back and also no choice but to think about what it's going to take to get back physically because mentally you're exhausted. And when you exhaust yourself mentally, you sometimes don't have any more energy to be depressed. You don't have any more energy to focus on your anxiety. All you care about when you're so exhausted is physically making it back to your comfort and safety. Again, I'm not saying that you should physically exhaust yourself, but I am saying that when we sit around and be in our depression, instead of getting up and doing something Aside from sitting around and doing physical things where it takes our body and our mind, we can sometimes overwrite some of the old pathways that create depression. Pumping someone's gas is a physical act. It's something that you do that's not sitting down on your couch. It's something that you do that requires effort. It requires exertion of some sort, even though it's minor. But what ends up happening is you end up checking a lot of checkboxes that can change your mindset. One checkbox might be you're helping someone financially, you're helping someone physically who has a hard time pumping their own gas, or you're helping someone emotionally because they just had a hard day and you're coming to save the day. 
And, and uh, it doesn't mean you have to be everyone's savior. It just means you're doing something different to create a scenario where you're not thinking about and sitting in or being in anxiety or depression. It's just the physical act. So this is what I'm talking about is that you have an opportunity to sit and be in that space or do something else. And um, when you do something else, your mind and body have to do something different than they're used to. So this goes beyond just the um, questions that you ask yourself, like what would it look like to not be depressed or what needs to happen so I am not depressed or what needs to happen so that I'm not in a dark space. Sometimes doing anything that's not routine can be a good jump start into doing more that's not routine that helps bring you into a different mindset. And I have other episodes on depression that you can listen to as well over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. But I wanted to address the depression because it was brought up in the message and also because I know a lot of people deal with it. So it's an important subject, like I said earlier. Let me address this last comment in his message where he says, being in my 30s, I have nothing to show for it. It makes me cry. I feel bad and I just don't know which way to turn. I totally get this. I've lost everything back in 2009, 2010. During the mortgage crisis, I had a condo and I had a girlfriend and I lost the girlfriend. Then I lost the condo and then I got married when I was broke and then we had nothing for a while. And I mean, this is a huge timeline, but I'm kind of condensing everything here. There was a point where basically I had nothing to my name and we were broke. We were absolutely dead broke. We did have each other, but eventually I was able to get back on my feet and we were able to get into a better space and move and live a better life. But then I got a divorce and then all I had was everything I could fit in the back of my truck. (laughs) So there were all kinds of things that happened during several periods of my life. And I've learned, unfortunately, that this can happen and does happen. And uh, we go through these ups and downs and it's so difficult because I can't just tell you, hey, everything will be all right. I mean, I know it'll be all right, but how can I know that about you? I can't. I don't know if everything's going to be all right. I do know, however, if you continually work on yourself and treat yourself, like I said, as the most important person in the world and start doing things for you, you start building a stronger foundation inside of you so that when there is loss, because there will always be loss in your life, But when there is loss, if you've built a strong foundation inside of you, when you fall down, you'll be able to get back up. You'll need to brush yourself off and you will feel down. You will feel in a dark space now and again. You will feel some maybe sadness or even depression. You will feel all these things and you will get through it because you have worked on building that foundation from making yourself the most important person in the world, in your world, and you'll have enough resources and tools to tell yourself, okay, this happened, it sucks, I'm sad, I'm going through it, there's going to be pain, this is a phase in my life, it hurts, Uh, I hate it, Um, I feel like a failure, you know, bring it all up, don't stuff it back down, bring it all up. I'm feeling this. I'm thinking this. I don't think I'm ever going to be happy again. If it's in there, bring it up, say it, express it, whatever you need to do, yell it, cry it, 
whatever's in there, bring it up and bring it out so that you can get it out of your system and you'll just deal with this phase and grieve through this phase and you will heal through this phase because you will be more resourceful and have more tools in your mental health and wellness tool bag so that you can get into a better space inside yourself so that you are not relying on so many external things for your happiness. Yes, external things bring us happiness. People, places, things, experiences all do that. And that's a good thing. But we do have to start inside. And we all know this. We all know that happiness has to start with us so that we can bring our happy self into another happy person's life and hopefully we create more happiness together. Or maybe if you don't know that, I'm telling you now, but that's important. And it's hard to do if we have been relying on external circumstances to make us happy. It doesn't mean they can't. It just means it's important that we work on our foundation and work on our self-esteem, work on our self-worth. And the more we do in our life physically, the more we make things happen instead of just thinking about things that you want to happen or wishing they would happen, the more we do things, even taking a walk along a sidewalk that you haven't walked on before can start to make a difference. In addition to everything else I've talked about today, and in addition to my other episodes on depression and anxiety, all of it makes a difference. There is not a single solution. There are multiple angles and multiple ways to tackle a situation where you do feel down, you do feel like you're you're not happy and now you have nothing to show for life. I look at everything that happens in your life as a new chapter. It's like reading a book where you get to the end of the chapter and then a new one starts because something big happened. But I also see that there's a lot more to the book. There are a lot more chapters to this book of life and it is worth going through these chapters to get to the next one because things do change. And sometimes we have to put more effort to make those changes, but they do change. There is always a new chapter, and sometimes that chapter continues what we like, and sometimes it stops what we like. And when it stops what we like, we have to have a solid foundation so that we can get to the next chapter and pull ourselves up from the muck and prepare for the next chapter, which might bring us more joy than we've ever felt. But remember got to clear those obstacles. Lots of obstacles that can block the happiness that's already inside. And sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need somebody else to help you out. Sometimes you need to talk to someone. Sometimes you just have to ask yourself the questions I shared today, but always try to move forward. You want to see if you can get that forward momentum because once you do, every little step feels like the next accomplishment and every little accomplishment feels like a success. And pretty soon you're on your way. I know. Easier said than done, Paul. (laughs) Yes, I know. But I'm hoping this little motivational speech will help you get to a better space inside you if you're dealing with any darkness inside of you. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsors today, Uprising. Go to uprisingfood.com forward slash brain and get $10 off your first purchase of the starter bundle. You're going to love it. And also plan your vacation now. Go to funjet.com. Use the promo code FUNJET75 and get $75 off your next FUNJET vacation to Ryu Hotels and Resorts. They are going to help get you there and they're going to give you a great deal. And I want to thank this week's patrons and financial donors, Kim, Brian, Ron, Elaine, Deborah, Stephen, Ward, Donald, Julie, Daisy. Good to see all of you. Thank you so much for your support. These are the financial backers of the show. and. They keep us going round and round the merry-go-round. We are very grateful for them. Thank you for your support. I read different names every week, and I'm so glad for everyone that gives to the show. If you find value in the show and you'd like to give back, head over to moretob.com. That's moretob.com. And you can choose to give a single donation or monthly And you can become a patron in the membership site, which gives you a bunch of uh, episodes you've never heard and workbooks and worksheets, things like that over there at moretob.com, or just give a donation if you'd like. Thank you, patrons and donors. I appreciate all of you. And I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, Love and Abuse is another podcast I do over at uh, loveandabuse.com. It's for the emotionally abusive relationship or any relationship that you feel is just too difficult. Why is this relationship so difficult? If you have that question or if you think you're responsible or you feel guilty for all the problems in the relationship or you're not doing enough and you're trying, head over to loveandabuse.com and see if there are signs of emotional abuse or control or manipulation that you may not know are there. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And for my final words, I just want to reiterate something I've said in the past And it's about communication and how in our relationships, no matter what your relationship is, whether it's romantic, platonic, or coworker, or whatever it is, family, when you don't communicate what you're really thinking or feeling, what ends up happening is that the other person has to interpret it. Not only do they have to interpret it, they continue the relationship the way it is based on their interpretation. And their interpretation may not be right. I have a friend right now that's um, having marriage issues and she said her husband just fell out of love. He just fell out of love and now they're going to get a divorce and uh, it was a total surprise. Why is this a surprise? This kind of thing should not be a surprise in a marriage. It should be something that builds up. It's um, similar to something that uh, is going to be a horrible analogy, but I'm going to use it. But I think it's a good one because it um, highlights something that we don't normally see too often. Like if you were at a job and let's just say that at the end of the first year of this job, you were expecting an evaluation. I don't think it's fair for your boss or whoever does the evaluation to come in and say, okay, you know what? You've failed to perform here, here, and here. I'm going to give you average marks here, here, and here. And uh, you did okay here, but you didn't do so good here. So I'm only going to give you this much. Because what ends up happening is if they give you that evaluation without any commentary throughout the year of what you're doing right or wrong, then the entire time you're just guessing. And that's just a terrible thing. I, I don't think it's fair for you to guess how you're doing 
and wait to the end of the year to get an evaluation. I think it's important that you maybe have an evaluation every three months. How are things going? Things are going great. Here's a bunch of check marks. Everything is going well. That way, by the end of the 12 months, you've been evaluated for, uh, three three times, and then the fourth time is the 12th month. So you will have known everything you did right, everything you didn't do right, everything that you could do better. You'll have all that information so that there'll be no surprises on the final evaluation. In fact, the only surprise should be a good one. Here's your money. <laughs> Here's more money, I should say. This is how relationships should work. This is why I'm telling you this analogy. This is how a relationship should work. And I'm not saying that you should have a three-month evaluation of your relationship together, but I am saying that you should analyze how it's going in the relationship yourself and also convey to the other person how things are going as well if they're not going so well or if they're going better than you hoped. You know, if it's average, you don't have to keep coming back and forth saying, yeah, everything's fine, everything's good or good enough. You don't have to continue reporting that. But if you're feeling upset about something or negative about something, I think it's important that needs to be talked about. Like when I was married uh, for, I think, two or three years, I forget how long we were together before my wife mentioned this, but my wife noticed a behavior in me that uh, really bothered her. My behavior was that of a, like a little boy. Like I would ask permission for things. Like I said, hey, you know, do you mind if I make something to eat? You know, I don't, I don't want to cause any trouble. I didn't use those exact words, but that was the energy behind it. I would say, hey, do you, are you, would you be upset if I did this? And I would just ask for permission. Like uh, I didn't want to upset her. And it was starting to drive her crazy. She finally said, look, you know, I don't want to be married to a little boy. I want to be married to a man you know stand up and say what you want you don't have to ask for my permission in everything you know I want you to feel good in yourself I want you to feel confident in yourself and just tell me this is what I'm gonna do or at least don't ask for permission like you're a little child and I looked to her and I said uh, what <laughs> I'm not a child. I mean, this is a way I've acted all my life in all my relationships. So this was very new information. I had never heard it before. And I asked, what do you mean? And we talked about it. And just like I described, she didn't want me to sound like a little boy. She didn't want to be married to what she felt like was little boy behavior. And so I said, so what do you mean? <laughs> what do you want me to do instead? And so I finally said, okay, uh, I'll try and even that's from a little boy's perspective I'll try and so going forward it was very difficult to change a behavior but if she hadn't said anything to me and our relationship just kept going on and on and she just kept feeling more and more negative toward me acting like a little boy and then one day she came up to me and said I can't stand that you act like a little boy we need to get a divorce if she had said that I would have absolutely zero opportunity to change. And this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we don't give someone an opportunity to show up in a different way when they're bothering us or do something different because we just say nothing or we communicate it in a way that's not clear. Like I used to mope around when I didn't get my way or I would 
I was good at moping. Uh, I would mope when I was angry, but I didn't want to sound angry or I wanted to say something, but I chose not to. I would just not say anything, so I would mope. I would suppress those thoughts and repress those emotions. And that caused the person I was with to interpret what was going on and try to figure out how they should act. And we would just never communicate clearly enough. I would never tell her what was really on my mind and at the time I don't think she asked what was on my mind or if she did um, she couldn't pull it out of me I mean it was clearly something I was going through and something I wasn't telling her and if she knew how to pull it out of me she probably would have but we don't know until the other person reveals it or is willing to reveal it and I, I wasn't so I never communicated it clearly and every time I did that it deteriorated the relationship a little bit over and over again, I chipped away at what we had by not communicating clearly. And it was mainly because I was afraid of being honest. I was afraid of honoring myself and telling them how I really felt. I didn't want to tell them how I really felt because they might get mad or maybe they'll leave me. And I was so deathly afraid of being alone or feeling rejected that I didn't want to be left. So I wasn't honest with them. And that creates an emotional roller coaster that has no end. This is why it's important to communicate clearly. And this relates back to my friend who's getting a divorce and her husband didn't communicate clearly that he was no longer in love with her. But why does she have to find that out now instead of knowing about it for months or years earlier? Because the first sign of someone's feelings changing should be conveyed. Because if they're not conveyed, then suddenly you, you pull a surprise on someone and it's just not fair. Just like it's not fair to get a single evaluation after a year of hard work and you find out that you weren't that great and you don't get a raise or you get a very small one. I don't think that's fair. I think it's more fair to evaluate what's going on in the relationship and share that with somebody if there's a negative aspect to it or an above average aspect to it, you know, something nice. Or even if you just want to share something nice anyway, but as long as it isn't something that's going to chip away at the relationship if you don't mention it at all. So I'm just saying this because communication is so important, even if it's risky. My friend's husband might have had to say, hey, look, I'm starting to feel differently about this relationship. I'm starting to feel differently toward you. And I want to talk about this because I don't want to feel this way, or maybe he does. Maybe he is not happy with other things in, in his life, but why wouldn't you talk about that? And I'm not saying you talk to dangerous people like this. If they're dangerous or they're known to be hurtful in any way, then maybe you can't talk to them. Maybe you've been dealing with something else, neglect or emotional abuse or even worse. That's not what I'm saying at all, but in a typical relationship and any kind of relationship if you're not honest then people have to go on an interpretation of what you're thinking and what you're feeling and sometimes uh, they'll get it wrong and this circles back to considering yourself as the most important person in the world because you want to know the truth I'm important I, I deserve the truth so if you sense something wrong in the relationship or different in the relationship it's important for you to try to pull it out of the other person as well and I'm not saying you have to do any of this. I'm saying this is how I live and this is how I suggest we have relationships. We have to communicate. I think it's important to communicate, to be as honest as possible, so that we're not surprised by something that comes along that just totally 
shakes our foundation. If you're married and your husband or wife says, I want a divorce, and, and it comes out of left field and you have no idea why, they either weren't honest with you and communicative, or you maybe weren't conscientious enough to notice the symptoms or the signals that you should have noticed, or maybe there were no signals. Maybe they just surprised you. Or maybe you did see things, but you never mentioned them, and you never discussed them, and you never brought them up and put them on the table and had a discussion about them. I think that's so important to have discussions about things that you don't want to talk about. That's hard. It's so hard to pull this stuff up and talk about it, but sometimes you got to because people have independent thoughts. People that we know and love and are with have independent thoughts, and they might be thinking, I got to get out of this. So why not tackle it up front? What's going on? I mean, this is what I had to do in my current and hopefully last relationship. When it first started, I had to ask her, hey, what's going on? Every time I see you, you barely look at me. Every time I walk in the door, you don't even acknowledge me. What's going on? You don't even want to kiss me. That was the very beginning of this relationship, and she had been holding back. She didn't want to upset me. She didn't want to make me think that uh, she was mean or whatever. She didn't want to be mean to me. And I finally pulled it out of her because I wanted closure. Remember we talked about closure. Closure is so important. Sometimes you can get it. Sometimes you can't. If someone ups and leaves you out of the blue, you may not get closure. And sometimes you have to live with that. And it's just something that it happens. But when you see signs and you're afraid to face those signs and talk about those signs, you may end up without closure, which is why it's important to talk about things, to bring them up, to put them on the table, to discuss them so that you can reach some sort of conclusion about what's going on. Otherwise, all you carry around are a bunch of questions and a bunch of self-doubt or a bunch of insecurities that never get addressed. But this is a whole topic for another day and another show. I am so glad that you are here. I hope you got value from the show today. Just remember, always keep an open mind. This is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.